Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Rex Sykes. Rex Sykes has four decades experience helping thousands of people transform their minds and lives. His innovations include mind design and directed questions. He is a master trainer of NLP and DHE, a master hypnotherapist and a master hypnotist, whole brain and accelerated learning the Law of Attraction, and is founder of IDEA Seminars. He conducts online programs on transformation, mind design, LOA, NLP, and at public events. Sykes is a professional speaker, life and business mentor, consultant, and an educator. He is an actor and filmmaker and consultant to the entertainment industry. In addition to his blog, Daily Inspiration and Gratitude, Rex is an author, creator of the Attitude Activator, and featured on Learning Strategies Euphoria program. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Leonard. It's great to be here. How are you today? I am great. Awesome. So, Rex, you, you do so many things. Multi-talented here. Um, and I don't know how long you've been doing all this, but why don't we start out by you just kind of introducing yourself by telling us where you started out, where you grew up, how you got to be where you are today? Well, today I live the life of my dreams. I do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, where I want. And mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate, very blessed. I've got two amazing now adult children who I, I adore and who thrill me to no end. And a couple of beautiful girl dogs that, that uh, really wrap around my life and, and make it complete. I, I am truly thrilled. But having said that, it wasn't always that way. And I was about... 25 years old, I was struggling as an actor. I had a girlfriend who I cared very much for and wanted to marry, and I went skydiving against her wishes and was injured, and then hid the injury from her and uh, went to a doctor in Beverly Hills who prescribed what turned out to be and should have been a lethal dose, a lethal combination of medicines that should have killed me, but it didn't, obviously. <laughs> And, uh, and they had considered me a walking miracle. There's no reason why I didn't go into a coma or die. Um, but it took me uh, almost two years to get my life back from that event. I have amnesia for the issue. Uh, uh, once I started taking the medicines, it, it truly screwed me up. Um, what was funny about it was that I could function on it. I could, I could get in my car and drive and have no memory of driving. And fortunately, I didn't hurt anybody or my girlfriend broke up with me at the time. Um, the drugs started to take their toll. These are prescription medicines, by the way. So friends of mine kept saying, well, there's something wrong with you here. Have a Quaalude, have a Valium, have a Darvacet, have." And so people started giving me other medicine to try and calm me down. And of course, the combination of all of those uh, ended up where I was nearly comatose. My parents who were traveling came back, found me and said, okay, you know, let's lock him in his apartment and, uh, and, uh, while we decide what we're going to do with him, where we're going to get professional treatment or what. And uh, at that point I went cold Turkey on the, uh, the meds. And, and uh, when I got to where I could figure out that something had happened and that I needed some form of help, um, I started to have horrible guilt and horrible anxiety over everything. I lost most of my friends. I destroyed my film career. Uh, I lost my girlfriend, and uh, and I just felt absolutely horrible. So I started to drink. I started to self-medicate and drink, and and uh, and I went on that for a long time and had more problems drinking for a significant amount of time until a friend of mine one day said, you know, you're going to die. And I write about it in my book. Uh, I, I won't go into a lot of detail here, but I, I said, I don't want to die. I want to live. I mean, the whole point was to live, and I at that time decided I would go to my apartment, I would sit in my easy chair and I wouldn't leave until I could go out and face the world confidently and competently. And so I sat in a chair, I got up to pee obviously, I got up to eat, but I, for six weeks I sat in that chair and I started with affirmations and with visualization and, and I felt horrible and it didn't seem like I would ever, ever have a breakthrough, but I did. And again, I write about it in my book and I can tell you more about that here today on the show. But, uh, but it did, it transformed my life. And I've been teaching that what I discovered then ever since. And that's been 40 years since that time. And uh, countless thousands of people around the world have used my methods. 
and have transformed their lives. And I'm very happy to say that that is the case. And, um, and I stand on shoulders of giants. What I discovered has been discovered probably many times throughout, um, you know, written history. The ancients have known things and, and modern research validates things. Um, but I came upon it and, and, and began teaching it. It hadn't, didn't seem to have a, uh, people didn't seem to know about it at the time. Uh, I called it Directed Questions. It's the basis of the Attitude Activator and of my program's Mind Design because I was convinced that if you're going to live in the outer world, you have to have an inner world that is so far beyond the, uh, the circumstances that you live in that you can go through any circumstances resiliently, you know, flexibly, positively, and, uh, and, and to transform and, and change your life. So I've been, I've been doing it since I was 25. Uh, if you want a little bit of backstory, I was just a weird kid who I like had my mom read me the Bhagavad Gita when I was six or seven. I read Napoleon Hill when I was 11. I got into hypnosis as a, at a young age. I wanted to be a mystic and I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> Two things I wanted to do. And I guess I've done both. <laughs> so, so that's my history. And, and, uh, but what I've discovered is that you can change and, the, and you can change more easily and readily than most people think. And it, it is a conditioning process. It's replacing the old neural wiring with new neural wiring. And it's based on choice. The unconscious, the subconscious, whatever you want to call it, cosmic consciousness, infinite consciousness, the mind, the overall, whatever, um, is billions of times stronger, more powerful than the little conscious mind. But the little conscious mind is the thing that starts it all. It's the one that says, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do this instead. And then what you need to do is enlist the power of this incredibly powerful uh, unconscious processes um, so that it works in alignment with what you want. And so it's about creating inner harmony, inner alignment, inner congruence, so that when you say, I want this instead of that, you get this instead of that. Got it. So what are directed questions? Directed questions, <laughs> people have discovered them ever since I discovered them. Somebody wrote an article about 10 or 20 years ago, I said, Rex Sykes discovered this in the 80s, you know, in 1980, which is when I started writing about it. Like, it didn't get a whole lot of attention. And then later in the 90s or 2009 or something, people rewrote the, the stuff. Directed questions, think of it this way. Your brain always works in a direction. It's kind of like you're either increasing or decreasing, you're growing or you're withering, you're going positive or you're negative. It's either hot or cold or tall or short or warm, or, you know. So it's, it, it, it has the ability to move in a direction. And what your brain does is it does what it was learned to do from the beginning of your life. You came in with maybe a little bit of genetic material, but, but for the most part, you're a blank slate and you learn everything from the people around you, your primary caregivers, uh, your peers, your educators, the authorities, the media, the culture, and everything you start absorbing and co-opting the beliefs and the values and the practices of the, that other people do so that by the time you're seven years old, you do this primarily between zero and seven, and then, but you continue. But through zero and seven, you're primarily in a kind of a hypnotic state. So you're just absorbing these beliefs. I would call them limiting beliefs because they're not ones that you've chosen. You know, they're ones that you live by. You either believe the world's a friendly place or you believe it's not a friendly place. You either believe the world is abundant or it's not abundant. Readily, you come by money and health and happiness easily, or it's hard, it's a struggle, or you're not deserving, or some people are lucky, but you're not. So how you're conditioned is that your unconscious mind, is the old saying, um, neurons that fire together, wire together. It's the same way in the old days, some of us are old enough to know this and others won't have any appreciation for it, but the old days you actually learned to memorize phone numbers. So you had your own phone number, you knew what it was, right? And so you would dial your own phone number. Well, if you moved and got a different phone number, sometimes you found yourself dialing the old phone number again and again and again until you learned to dial the new phone number. Now, the old phone number is always there. It didn't, get, it didn't disappear. It's just overwritten so that your brain goes, oh, you don't want that. You want this instead. Yeah. So what directed questions do is say, it's not this, it's that. It's not this, it's that. It's not dog crap, it's diamonds or divine. It's not dog crap, it's diamonds and divine. So you're directing your mind by using questions that, that set you up to win by how you pay attention. So um, I do talk about it in my design. I do address it somewhat in my book. Uh, the Attitude Activator uses it. So I, I, I use it, but it is how you direct your mind 
more easily. Now, some people say, why am I successful? That's a great question. Um, what can I do to be successful? That's a great question. When am I successful? Those are great questions. A directed question kind of bypasses any of that to say, in how many different ways can I discover myself already being successful in ways that delight me and put a smile on my face? So you're not, it's not like, can I discover how wonderful I feel finding out who knocking on my door? So what am I asking about? You want to be happy with who's at the door. <laughs> well, if I say, I wonder how, how delighted I could be to discover who's knocking at my door, what's, what's the primary interest? Who's at the door? No, it's how delighted am I going to be? Oh, how delighted, okay. Door is a given, I'm gonna find out. The question is how delighted am I going to be to find out who's knocking at my door? So I'm, I'm asking a question about something else, delightment, discovery, resources, that, that move me in a direction I want to be moving. And how many different ways can I feel absolutely thrilled to find myself smiling five or more times a day? Mm -hmm. So it's about the emotions that are released and the feelings. Uh, and I wrote articles back in the, in the early days about why affirmations don't work well for a lot of people. And the reason is, is because most people recite affirmations like every day in every way I'm getting better and better every day and every that's not how affirmations work. You have to have the feeling component. You have to tell your brain, this is important. I love this. Every day and every way I'm getting better. The military knows this. They have you do cadence. They have you run. They have you chant. They have you do all these things in order to take somebody who is not a troop to become a troop. You know, so it's the same thing that we do. We, when, if we chant with enthusiasm, if we ask questions that make us feel really, really good and attach it to something that we want, then we're moving in a direction all along the way and picking up all the good benefits while we do so. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to ask a question, but you're just feeling like, oh, I'm just feeling it's, you know, it's raining today. I feel sad and feel good when I woke up. How do you get yourself in that place to ask the question, to put the emotion in? That's what training is all about. When you were a baby, you had to learn to roll over and then you had to learn to sit up and then you had to learn to crawl and then you had to learn to walk. You had to learn to feed yourself. And part of feeding yourself meant that you would take a spoon and you would do all these act, actually aberrant movements that you don't want that you have to eliminate in order to get the spoon to your mouth. And so food goes every which way and everywhere while you're learning to target it. Same thing. People always go, well, how do I do it if I'm not motivated? You do it bit by bit, bite by bite, step by step, inch by inch until it becomes a habit and you learn to crawl, you learn to walk, you learn to move, then you learn to run. So what you do is you start small. You say... I may not feel like it today, but I'm going to do it. And you start to do it. You know, Muhammad Ali didn't feel like training. He was one of the champion boxers in the world. He said, I hate training. I absolutely abhor it. But you know what? I knew that I would be a world champion if I continued to train. So I'm out running behind cars and it's cold and I hate it. I hate every minute of it. But I traded the discomfort of doing it now for the future in which I was a champion. So you don't have to feel like doing anything. This is, this is where psychology has got us all screwed up. Don't do it unless you feel it. Motivation doesn't come from feeling it. Motivation comes from doing it, and then the feeling comes from having done it. So you do a little bit in your own best interest. You grease the wheel. I have a, I have a principle that's called go first. If you want someone to like you, you like them first. Why would you expect them to like you if you don't like them? If you want them to listen to you, you listen first. If you want them to respect you, you respect them first. If you want to get more money back, put more money out. If you want to be happier, act happy. You know, you have to do those things that bring the results. You just can't sit in your room and go, I want this, I want that, I want this, and wish it into, into being. And that's what a lot of people do. I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do anything about it and hope. Mm -hmm. And if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. And of course, we say that's the definition of insanity. So if you want your life to change, you have to change something in your life. You have to change something you're doing. Doesn't matter what you change, you just must change something. And then change begins. Mm -hmm. And that makes so much sense because many people teach, well, you know, you just say these affirmations or you just really think hard about it and put the emotion behind it and it's going to happen. It's like, no, when you were sitting in your chair developing this stuff, and not doing anything yet, 
you, you know, nothing's going to happen sitting in your chair. You have to do some kind of action. Well, I said, you're right. But I mean, I sat in my chair until I felt I could go out in the world. I continued to visualize myself being a whole person, not broken. I continued to ask myself questions. I started out by going, I am confident, but I didn't feel confident. I felt stupid. I felt ashamed. I felt horrible. And I go, I feel confident. And it was kind of like people look in the mirror and go, I am my ideal weight. And the mirror goes, you know, no, you're not. <laughs> I got that. Yeah. So I started, yeah. what happened, I exit, I go, when am I going to be able to get out there? What would it be like if I could get out there? What, how soon am I going to find myself? Because people say, how long is this going to take? Who cares how long it takes? How soon can you get it done? Yes. They just ask the wrong questions. If you say, why am I so stupid? Guess what your brain does? It goes, well, here's the reason. Here's the reason. Here's the reason. When you were four, you did this. When you were seven, you did that. Your parents told you this. You didn't go to the right school. You don't have enough money. If on the other hand, you say, how come I'm so wonderful? How come I'm so brilliant? And how many different ways am I smart? In how many different ways am I successful? How soon can I find myself feeling totally confident and powerful and, and doing all that I want to do and enjoying life in ways that go beyond anything I could presently imagine? When you start doing that, it seems foreign at first because you're not used to doing it. If, if most of the time you rag on yourself, if 90% of your life you've gone, you're a toad, and now you start saying, no, you're a prince or a princess, it's going to seem uncomfortable. But the more you say you're a princess and you're a prince, or in how many different ways can I discover my inner princeliness or my inner princessness? And, and, and in what are those areas that I feel wonderful? Then you're going to start making that more familiar and more comfortable. And you're going to start doing more of those. So it's trading the old habits that don't work for you for new habits. And it begins with your thought habits, but you don't just sit and think and do nothing. Once you think it right, then you feel right, you speak it right, and you behave it right, and you get incredible results that you make blow you away because, because you're so used to getting these other crappy things. Mm -hmm. Dog crap or diamonds. It's dog crap or diamonds. Yes. So why do you think people get stuck sometimes? Because they're conditioned to be stuck sometimes. And what does stuck imply? That they're not getting what they want. Or they're... Okay, yep, they're not getting what they want or they're not moving. Stuck means no movement, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you have to do in order to get unstuck? Take a step. Create movement, <laughs> right. So how do you create movement? You either shift what you're thinking, you stop and change what you're feeling, you get up and you dance, you sing, you skip, you do something physically, or you start saying something differently. You do anything that creates movement. You know, if, you're, if you don't, this is why the wisdom of the old was so impressive. They said, if you're depressed, go work in the garden. If you're angry, you know, go run it off or beat a pillow. In other words, it wasn't sit with it and feel horrible. It was do something. And so if you're stuck, you need to move. The basis of the Attitude Activator really, in, when I did created the Attitude Activator, a lot of people have audio tapes and, or audio programs that, you know, you need one for smoking, one for weight, one for time management, one for this, one for it. I wanted to create one template that you could use for 100 different things so I didn't have to make a hundred different tapes for people or audios for people. So it took me a year. I, I, I wrote it for over a year. I created the Attitude Activator, one of the best selling programs that I have is the Attitude Activator. And what it essentially is, it's like stop, drop and roll. If you can remember stop, drop and roll, you can remember stop, breathe and shift, which is you have to stop what you're doing. So if the moment you notice you're stuck, stop, take a deep breath, interrupt the pattern and then move in a different way. Shift if you're thinking, I'm fat, nobody loves me, you have to think, I wonder how many different ways I can find love, even if I'm fat, or I wonder how soon I can maintain my ideal weight, or I can begin to eat healthy. You don't have to live with what you're doing. Then people will say, well, how often do I have to do it? You do it until it's different. Mm -hmm. Until it's different. Until, until it's different. to be. And for some people, that's almost instantaneous. And for other people, it's a year. And for other people, it's, you know, they, the old days used to say it takes 21 days a minimum of 21 days to begin to initiate a new habit. That was to begin the process. Where most people are when they come to change, you know this, okay? You know, there's unconscious incompetence, which means I don't know that I don't know. There's, un there's conscious incompetence, means, oh, I know I don't know. There's conscious competence, which means, okay, I'm working this out and I'm talking myself through it. And then there's unconscious competence, which means it's now a reliable, automatic, positive habit. And, or, or it's a bad habit that's reliable too because you master people smoke and they become smokers and then the brain goes, I got it, you want me to smoke. 
And then the human comes along and goes, no, I don't want to smoke. And the brain goes, yes, you do. This is what, <laughs> what you do. This is what I do. I bite nails. I twist my hair. I eat over eat. I feel bad. I feel anxious. I do all these things. Your brain is doing what, you, what, it, uh, what it learned to do. It's your friend. It is your friend. It's keeping you alive. It is serving you perfectly well to do things you don't want anymore. So you have to learn how to use that mechanism to do the things you want to do more of. So you just shift it from what it was doing that you don't want, the dog crap, and shift it to the positive diamonds or divinity, divine, that you do want. But you actually have to stop, take a pause, interrupt the pattern, and then move. Mm -hmm. You're creating movement from not the old, but yes, the new. Not the old, but yes, the new. Mm -hmm. And if you step and stay focused on the what's wrong, you will always perpetuate the wrong. You'll keep doing what you always did because you, your focus or your energy, energy goes where your attention goes. So your energy, if it's always looking at what's wrong, you'll stay what's wrong. So you have to turn away from that. And then even, even think of it this way. In the Bible, it says repentance means to turn away from sin. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not, but it, you know, I, it's the, the point is to turn away and not do it anymore. So if you, if you want to be different, you want to stop smoking, you have to turn away from that and do something different. If you want to stop biting your nails, you turn away and be something different. If you feel insecure, you turn away and be, feel confident. You turn away from feeling a lack of self-love towards love. If, you've, if you're mean and nasty and not generous, you turn away from that to being compassionate, empathetic, and generous. You know, it's, it's the shifting, it's the turning away from, it's the repenting, it's the leaving the old and, and initiating the new. And then you keep doing the new until it's a new habit and your brain will learn your brain likes to learn new things in that way but you have to overcome the inertia of the habits of old it's no different than if you move to a new address and you get in your car and you come back from school or from work or from someplace and you drive to the old address or the example about the phone number you know you pick up the phone you dial the old phone number your brain will do that until it learns a new address till it learns the new phone number so it learns a new thought, the new feeling, the new self-talk, or the new behaviors. How long do you do it? You do it consistently, repeatedly, correctly for long enough until it becomes a habit, and then it's yours. It's not a Band-Aid. It's not a quick fix. It's not an overnight. But having said that, some people transform incredibly in a really short period of time, and others take a little longer. It depends on what you're doing. It depends on your attitude. So I, I bet there's some people listening thinking, but how do I do that? And I know you have like online courses and things you offer. Let's say someone wants to start moving, but they're just like, I don't know how to do that shift. So then you get help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you don't know, you're going to have to seek it out. You know, you can either sit and wallow where you're at, or you can do something corrective. And if you say, well, I don't feel like doing anything corrective, I'm going to say, sorry. When you feel like you can, then you will. You see, the people stop with, you know, I can't do something. Um, not a lot of people like Henry Ford today, but he said something very profound, and that was, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. Now, the Wright brothers didn't know how to fly. Think about that for a second. The Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, decided they were, they were bicycle makers. They were going to create an airplane, a heavier-than-air, you know, because there were gas balloons that, was, that were up there. They were going to create a heavier-than-air uh, machine that would fly. Now, they were smart enough not to jump off a cliff, but to decide we're going to take off from the ground up, which is a smart thing to do. But they didn't know how to fly, but they kept trying and they kept experimenting and they didn't know how. And you don't need to know how. You just need to do something. And only after they flew did they know how to fly. And this is what most people miss. Once they flew, they could reverse engineer it. They say, you know, these things, that's how we got off. Now we can do it again, and then we do it again. And as a result, now we have commercial air travel all around the world and have for many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. But when they were going through it, even their family thought they were idiots. Their father's like, you're stupid. Get out of this. This is dumb. You're never going to be able to fly. God wanted you to fly. You'd have wings. And they just kept saying, you know, we're going to do this. And they were certain that they could figure it out. They didn't know how to do it. The story of Edison with 10,000 trials for a light bulb. He didn't know how to make a light bulb or whomever made the light bulb. He just kept doing, or whomever did it, kept doing it until they got a light bulb. Mm -hmm. And then once they had the light bulb, they knew how to make the light bulb. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm an optometrist. So when people come in and they want to try contacts for the first time, they're thinking, 
I don't think I'm going to ever get this in. And you see them sitting there and they're poking their eye over and over. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. And finally they get the first one in that goes, oh, that's how it feels to put a contact lens in. Then they get to the second one and it's much easier because they know what it is now. But before they, they, they didn't know what it was. They didn't know, they really know the feeling. They saw people doing it, they, but now they can put it in much easier with the second eye. And of course it gets easier and easier. Well, and, and, and when people get a new prescription or they get progressives or they get some kind of, often it takes an adjustment period, yeah. you know, and they, and they go, well, you know, I feel like I'm walking downstairs or I can't see, or this is weird. And, but ultimately they, they, you know, they did experiments where they took lenses and they put them on and it reflected the imagery inside the brain. And then everybody saw everything upside down and they got used to that. And then they took the lenses off and the world was upside down and it had to take time to reverse it so that it could flip back. The brain is amazingly resilient. And by the way, you and I share something in common. Both my mom and dad were optometrists. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, they met in optometric school. Uh -huh. That is so cool. Yeah, That's an old experiment you're talking about, and it's been around for a long time. Yeah. No, but the end. So the point is, is, you know, people can grow. I mean, look at, the th look at this. People are born pretty much as a blank slate. A little happy baby, you know, and like I said, maybe some, there's some DNA, there's some baggage, whatever, but a little happy baby. And they get trained out of being the little happy baby. And people grow up with different problems and different insecurities and different things based on who they're around. Well, they have a choice. You either choose to stay that way or you choose to not stay that way. And this is the sad part for most people. Psychology in our lifetime has, I think, done more damage than good in many ways, because what it's done is it's taught people to be coddled and say everything about you is fine and perfect. And it's true, it is. But they do it in such a way that they say, well, if you have a problem, we'll give you a pill <laughs> or we'll give you this or whatever so that you can overcome it. But, um, but it's not your fault. And it's not your fault. But it's better if you act like it is your fault. It's better in this regard. If you act like you are in charge and it is your responsibility to be better, you will do things because you're responsible for them. But if you're not responsible for it, why should you do anything? And so if it's not your fault, somebody's done it to you, it's the world is a bad, bad, vicious place, then people tend to stay where they are. And that's sad. And that's just why I say, and I didn't originate the statement, but the statement is, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, or when the student is ready, the life lesson appears. So when the student is ready, the inner teaching appears. It's when you're ready, when you become aware that you need to change and not, and think of it this way, we all sleep and we all wake up. And in 24 hours in a day, people are waking up every minute of every hour through 24 hour cycles. We don't all wake up at the same time. So if you're not woke yet, you're not woke yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. You will someday. Exactly. And as you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, when, when you get really comfortable, even when things really aren't the way they should be or you want them to be, but it's so easy just to stay in that nice comfy spot. <laughs> and, you know, so if there's not fear to change and there's not longing to be better and you're just in that comfortable spot, sometimes there's, it takes a lot to actually start getting that momentum to move. Well, absolutely. I'm going I'm to hold my book up in front of me. Okay. Did I disappear? My head disappears? Oh, look at that. Yes, your head disappears. <laughs> Very cool. I can make my head disappear. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Um, I'm holding this up because I talk a lot about this in this book. You can get it at my website. It's nlponline.com, nlponline.com. But at any rate, the reason why I hold this up is because it says life on your terms, live the life you want. And that's truly what it's about creating. It's creating the life that you want and to live it on your terms not on the terms that are dictated to you by other people. So it's about how do you get free from your cultural, your social, your parental, and your own conditioning to live how you'd like to live. And you can. The, um, the notion of the thermostat, you know, I talk about in my book, other people have addressed it. The thermostat is a device that regulates your heating and cooling in your home. So if you set it for 70 degrees, if it gets too hot, it either turns off the heater or it turns on the air conditioning in order to maintain 70 degrees. If it gets too cold, it either turns on the heater or turns off the air conditioner in order to maintain 70 degrees. Your brain is like a thermostat. 
Maxwell Maltz actually called it a servo mechanism, meaning, which I love the term, because it's, it's a servant. Your brain is a servant to you. It is designed to keep you alive and to keep you consistent so that you know who you are from day to day. You know what your preferences are. You know what your, the family members are. You don't one day like pizza and the next day hate pizza and love something you know, else. You're consistent. It's, it's designed to keep you consistent. And, you, and a lot of these you've learned. But then if you start going outside your comfort zone, your brain says, well, wait a second. Wait just a second. We don't want you outside your comfort zone because it perceives leaving your comfort zone as a survival issue. In the old days, if you left your safe territory and you went outside, there might be a tiger or a lion or a bear that, or somebody else that could kill you. So you needed to be protected. Nowadays, we live in boxes and we drive from one box to another box and you know, all that kind of stuff. And we give people the finger on the freeway and we get mad and somebody says something or looks at us a certain way. And we perceive those as life-threatening events. And some people, sadly, take lives because of things like that. They get, you know, that's, but we get threatened, emotionally threatened, and our bodies respond with fight or flight or freeze. So we start squirting the hormones and the chemicals. So we have the electrical impulses that go off that make us either want to fight, either run away, or freeze like a rabbit in your yard. When people want to leave their comfort zone and they go, you know what, I want to, I want to exercise. I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to, I'm going to lose 60 pounds. I'm going to go to the gym on January 1st. They have all the right intentions. This is when the brain starts coming and go, you're never going to do that. It starts throwing up doubts. It starts throwing up fear. It starts throwing up anxiety. It starts saying, oh, I hurt today. Uh, I'm going to take tomorrow off. You know, or, oh, you know what? Somebody wants me to go boating instead. I'm gonna... So it does that to keep you consistent with who you are instead of who you want to be. So you need to align with this and teach it, no, I don't want to keep doing that. I want to do this instead. I, want, I don't want to keep doing the old behavior. I want to do these things instead. And if you make it fun and easy and enjoyable so that change is desirable as opposed to painful, then you're more apt to do it. You certainly can get a kick in the butt, and that might get some people to do it, but a kick in the butt only lasts a long. The military does this. You know, they break you down for six weeks, and then they throw you out in the thing. They can't do it forever, or you just fall apart. So you can't consistently be hard on yourself. And some people have been hard on themselves most of their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's what's sad, you know, because they, they are very comfortable suffering, and they don't leave that comfort zone. They've gotten used to it. So they, they tolerate a certain amount of pain and they stay that way because to venture out of that would mean, oh my gosh, I have to do something different and they get scared. Uh-huh. You don't have to be scared. Yeah, you're, you're I'm reminded of that book, um, Who Moved the Cheese? If you ever read that book, Who Moved the Cheese? Of these little mice who their world changes and all the cheese disappears and they're afraid to leave in case someone might just come and bring some more cheese. Yeah. They do so they're going hungry <laughs> yeah people prevent themselves in sad ways from being all that they could be because they don't one believe it's possible they bought a, a bad bill of goods they they have limiting beliefs that hold them back they're stuck by the way i have a free gift at my website at uh, it's at nlponline.com there's a there's a free gift your your biggest problem what to do about it if you go to my website and you right at the top there's my design and the attitude activator, my book and different things right there, but there's a free gift and you can get a free gift. It's a 22 minute audio program. It's what your biggest problem, what to do about it and how to overcome it. And it's designed to help people who do feel stuck and, and, and to help them begin to, to move forward and change absolutely free. All you got to do is go and get it. That is awesome. So yeah, cause you, you have designed several, you know, you have the idea seminars and you, you know, designed some different programs for people to actually take advantage of. Do you ever work with people one-on-one or is mostly they're just learning through the program? I, I do. And it's usually very expensive and, and which is fine. I mean, you know, people who are willing to pay, pay. And there's a reason for that because you need to have some skin in the game. Uh, I, I do group coaching as well. And I do the seminars, both live and online. And Idea Seminars is my company that we've been Idea Seminars since I think the early 90s, 90 or 91, we incorporated at that time. And, um, and so uh, I like live events. And for a long time, it took me, you know, my, my staff, my office manager, my 
the CEO that we put in the church of the company, wanted me to release audios and videos and write books. And I didn't want to do it for a long, long time because I wanted people to come in and have the experience. It's like you didn't learn to talk by reading a book. You didn't learn to walk by reading a book. You didn't learn to swim by reading a book. And there's nothing wrong with reading a book, but there's a time when reading a book is really useful. And it's usually after you have tried something or done something. Like if you want to learn to be a better bike rider, go now read a book and then incorporate what they did, you know, once you know how to ride a bike. But the, but, but the point being is this. Um, I wanted people to have an experience in the same way that you can go to the swimming pool and you can watch everybody swim and you could go, that could be me and you could envision that, but you never get in the pool. Mm. You just stand on the sidelines. And I wanted people to dive in. I want people to immerse themselves. I want them to suspend their, their, you know, all the talk why they can't get in there and just get in the pool and have some fun. So there's the, the live events. And then of course the live online programs or home study programs are the next best thing. Of course, in the audio programs, like the Ultimate NLP Home Study Program is an audio-based program that you can listen to because you're using more of your senses than just one, and, um, and or the Attitude Activator. There are there are ways to use your own neurology and your own body, and, and what I want people to do when they would come into live events, we would dance, we would do things. Back in the 80s and 90s, the NLP community, for example, we would cross crawl, we would dance, we would play, I would do laughter meditation. People said, you're nuts, this is stupid, you are so, this is wrong, you're not doing pure NLP. You know, they didn't do all this kind of crap. And now, all the big guys are doing this stuff. You know, I mean, yeah. it's amazing. I go to seminars, I go to workshops, I come here, and they're all doing it. In fact, some of them even use my pattern, my, my explanations for things, <laughs> uh, verbatim. So it's cool, it's, it's very flattering, it's very nice. But it's nice because I've watched people change through the decades and incorporate things. If you feel crappy, go work in a garden. Go run around the block. Go take a walk and look at things. Go look off into the distance. Go dance for crying out loud. Get a massage. Take a steam or a sauna. Do gift yourself in ways. Don't just sit there and feel crappy. You know, and yet that's what people do. They go, I just, you know. Yeah, and that is so true. And as you're talking about the cross crawl and things like that, um, when I first came out of school, I specialized in uh, behavioral optometry. And if people don't know, we have a therapy center. When people are on balance beams and balance boards and trampolines, and we're doing cross-crawl. And cross-crawl is basically when you're taking your right knee and touching it with your left elbow, and then you do the opposite. And it helps with having the two brain sides actually combine and work together. And it helps people with brain injuries and things like that. It helps anyone. So, um, but at the time when I uh, came out of school and I was learning from these, these masters, who many of them are gone now, but they were masters at the time, and we knew that there was brain plasticity. We knew yes. how amazing the brain is and that you can change it in an instant, but the, the regular basic optometry, ophthalmology world, they wouldn't have anything to do with it. They said, no. You, once you damage a nerve, it's gone. There's no plasticity. They boohooed everything we did. So sometimes it's really tough to be the pioneer. But when you know what you're doing works, and that's how I've always done my business, if it works, I don't care how silly it looks. If it works, we're doing it because I, I care about results. <laughs> it's, it's, it truly is amazing. I, you know, some of the people who resist the most are the experts. You know, It's kind of like people who said, you know, when, when Edison invented a light bulb, nobody wanted a light bulb. They go, why would I want a light bulb? I got a kerosene lamp. What do I want that for? When Ford invented the automobile, they said, I've got horses. Why would I want an iron horse? Why do I need that? You know, part of the whole notion is getting people to understand that things are possible. Neuroplasticity, we didn't have that word 30, 40 years ago, but we knew that the brain drew neural neural connections. You know, and I got, there's an author, I, I think it was called Crazy Therapies. I said, you know, in, in my workshops and in my audio tapes and everything, I said, what we're doing is, is consciously using the placebo effect. In other words, what you want to do is the placebo effect works all the time. You know, people think of a placebo as the pill. They think of it as the item. It's not. It's, that's not even important what the placebo is. It could be a rock. It could be a ring. It could be a, a book. It could be another person. The voodoo is an example of the placebo effect. Somebody thinks somebody's going to do something and, it, and they die, right? Or they get sick. 
they fear it. It actually is a placebo and nocebo effect, which is if you think something will help you, it's likely to help you. And if you think it won't help you, it's likely not to help you. Placebo versus nocebo. And um, attitude, uh, Travis Air Force Base did a study that attitude is the number one predictor toward um, healing. Uh, attitude toward treatment is the number one predictor towards your healing. So I said, what we're doing is we're learning how to utilize the placebo effect consciously. And they said, oh, isn't this stupid? Uh, you, you know, this is fraud using the placebo effect. Rex Sykes is teaching people to use the placebo effect. Yes, we're teaching people how to use their brain, their mind, their beliefs to change because it's going to work anyway, whether you, whether you want it to or not. It's, it's always there, whether the medicine has uh, active ingredients or it's all inert. It doesn't matter. Um, so there are always people who, will, uh, you know, the Wright brother's dad said, you're stupid. So, you know, people who don't think it's possible, they... And this is what I say for people who want to change. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're correct. You are right. So if you don't think it's possible, the first step for you is to become convinced that it's possible. Now, how do you do that? You got to do some legwork. You got to do some research. You got to see other people. If it's possible for them, maybe it's possible for you. If one person did it, maybe you can do it. You have to open the doorway of, well, I could maybe swim. I could maybe like spaghetti or broccoli. I could maybe, because if you think you can't, or you probably won't. But if you think you can, then possibly you will when you give yourself permission to. So if you give yourself permission to change and give yourself permission to let go of the crap from the old days, then you stop, you take a deep breath, you pause, and you shift. Yeah. So anything is possible when you believe that it is possible. And nothing is possible if you believe it's impossible. Yeah, you might surprise yourself either way, but I say make it easy for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's true in so many areas. I, I know I've begun things and I think, I don't know if I'll ever get there or ever do it, but I just start with the first step and then the second step. And I just keep walking towards it until I get there. And I've done that with patients too. They come in and I would get all the hardest patients. Whenever someone didn't know what to do with someone, they sent them to Dr. Leonard. There you go. I look at this person. They said, I've been through this program, this program, this program, this program. Can you help me? And I'm like, I don't know, but let's just get started. And, and I think to myself, gosh, they should be further along after they did all these programs. But they weren't. It's almost like they had done no programs. So, but, but what I found is just having faith in looking at the person, seeing where they're at, and just watching and pivoting. And I think that's important too when we're changing. Pivoting to whatever they need. And as we just took one step after another and then pivoted when we need to, somehow, miraculously, after a few months, they always got to where they had to be. And I was always just as surprised as everyone. But it was true that I had the belief that they could get better. And I think, you know, after talking to them, they had the belief that they could get better. Well, and this is an important point you make because your belief in them is a placebo for them. Whether they consciously ever get it or not, the fact that you believe that they can change makes it more likely that they can begin to believe that they will change. If you thought this person's hopeless and never going to change, what it, all of your behaviors and your nonverbals and everything would support the disbelief, and that would be the message that they would be getting. But what they're getting from you is positive inspiration, motivation, and the belief that they can do what it is you're saying and that they can claim their life back. You know, I talk, I wrote in my book uh, about a, an agoraphobic who'd been agoraphobic for 11 years, hadn't left the house, went to all the big guns. This was back in the early nineties, been to everybody, sought treatment. She found me and said, I want you to help me. And I said, well, what have you done? She said, I went to so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. She, she listed all these people. I said, well, you know, what do you charge? I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to charge you. I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, work with you in that way and she goes what why not i said because you bundle all these people you paid them all this money and now you're telling me all the people who couldn't help you i don't want to be on that list mm -hmm. i said what i will do is i will help you and when we're successful then you can pay me and so i guided her a few times literally by saying 
what have you always wanted to do that you haven't been able to do in the last 11 years? Where did you want to go? What did you want to do? Well, let's go there in your mind. Imagine what would you see first? What would you see second? What did you do next? Then what? Where did it go? When you turned here, how did it feel? We did that. I said, okay, good. We're done. Should what? I go, call me back in two days. Should call me back. We go through the same thing. We did this for, I don't know, a week or two or something like that. One day she called me and said, guess what? I go, what? She, I got in the car and I went and drove. The first time in 11 years, this woman got out of her house, went to where she wanted to go because she had traveled there in advance. She knew what she could do. She knew what the problems were. She went over bridges she used to be afraid of because it was to get her to where she wanted to go. So the, the thing is, is until she went, you know, I want to do this again, she didn't do it. But so we built it up inside her so that it was something that not only did she want to do, because she'd lived going, I, I want to do that, can't. Now it's, I want to do that, and maybe I could. And oh my God, because we built in her the feelings of what it was like to do it. Mm -hmm. So she, she, I mean, for the longest time after, I got gold, I got food, I got gifts, I got the money, I got the holding. I mean, she just kept giving, I kept saying, look, I don't want anymore. No, 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 you know, and she just kept lavishing me with stuff. Like, stop, stop, please stop. I said, <laughs> right, you're good. So, you know, anything is possible, you know, but nothing is a panacea and nothing, it's not meant to impress anything or anything. It's, it's that, you know, if you want to make an important change, you can make the change. I didn't think it was possible when I sat in my chair. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was possible. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I couldn't go on the way I was going and I had to sit and figure something out. Because when I went out, I was in too much pain. When I went out, I wanted to drink. I wanted to do drugs again. I, want, I, I, I didn't know. I said, I'm not leaving until I can figure out how to do it. And in that process, I figured out how I could get to wet. You know, it, it, it became, how can I begin to go out and see my friends? How can I begin to feel good to go have breakfast with people I used to have breakfast with? How could I begin to do these things? How soon? What do I need to do? What do I need? How do I need to feel? You know, as opposed to just saying, I am good, I'm confident, I'm that. Because every time I'd say that, I'd go, you're a bad puppy. Look at how you screwed up. And I didn't do anything. I had been misprescribed pills for an injury. And I was taking all this horrible burden thinking I was this jerk, this horrible guy who'd ruined his life because I had taken prescribed medicine as prescribed. I even took it, just so you know, and it's in, again, it's in the book, but I took the pills in the doctor's office as I was leaving. I said, can I take these now? He said, yeah, sure. He gave me a little water cup and the pills to go ahead. I took them. I went to pick up my sister in Hollywood. She said, you were not the same person. You were a completely different person. Half hour later, I didn't know who the heck I was. I mean, you know, so the fact that I didn't get killed or kill anybody or anything is, is truly a gift. But I had to sit after 18 months, you know, and, and all this and figure this out and get to where I could go back. And I transformed my life and I've been helping people transform their lives ever since. Mm -hmm. And if I can do it, and believe me, I am no smart. I couldn't be an optometrist. I don't have the brains for it. I am not that smart. I'm just, I'm just good at simplifying things and saying, you know what, if you get this principle and you apply this simple principle, for example, a journey of a thousand steps mm -hmm. or miles begins with a single step. Okay. But then, you know, you hear things about enjoy the journey. Well, I'm here to say enjoy the journey because if you don't enjoy the journey and you go a thousand miles and you, you hated it the whole time, you're probably going to give up along the way. Mm -hmm. But if you make it wonderful, and you make it enjoyable and you make it delightful and you make it simple and you, and you just keep going because if you, here, here's the one thing, if you want to finish a marathon, you know how you finish a marathon? You don't stop. <laughs> just cross the finish line. It's not about who finishes the marathon first. It's just get across the finish line. If you stopped anywhere short of the finish line, you didn't complete the marathon. So you're, yeah, you know, you just don't stop. You just keep going. You do what you need to do correctly, consistently, repeatedly for long enough, and you keep going until you do it, and you get feedback along the way. And I will say this. People say there's two things in life, lessons or blessings. And I say, no, there's only blessings. Because if you got the lesson and you made the adjustment, guess what? You got the blessing. Right. It wouldn't have been there for you except to bless you. Even if it's a hardship, it's there to bless you. Bless you or direct you. When you think about it, or to direct you. So. so so my tagline is celebrate everything. Mm. It's celebrated if it's bad, celebrated if it's good. Because if you make the description, then you're buying into the dog crap. So you might as well make it all good. If everything's a blessing, everything is a blessing. Yeah. And you get to choose the words you want to describe it with. 
Yeah. And that, and that's it. People, people, when they learn this stuff, will say things like, well, you know what I'm struggling with. And I go, yeah, you are. And I go, what? I go struggling. And they go, yeah, I am. And I go, do you really want to describe it that way? Well, they go, that's what's happening. I go, so, I mean, you know, what does historically have to have to do anything? How do you want it to be? Well, I'd like it to be easy. They go, okay, what well, would have been a struggle for me in the past? I'm now learning and discovering how to do in easier ways. You don't have to lie about it. <laughs> you just say, this is true. It would have been a struggle for me. Or what some people would struggle with, I'm learning to maximize my opportunities. I'm beginning to learn to look in different ways at things and finding out what's good there and find the silver lining as opposed to focusing on the crap. So the words are so important. The words we use they are important. They are. The key really, though, is your own personal vibration. You either vibe high and you're alive and you're filled with energy and you're feeling good and your words support that and your actions support that, and what you imagine in your mind supports it, or they don't. So the question always comes back to choose. What do you want? And if you're moving closer to dog crap, you got to stop. Say, that's not what I want. I want this instead. And then you take a break, you pause, and you shift toward what it is that you want. So it's an awareness moment. If you're stuck and you realize, oh, yeah, I'm stuck, you need to create movement. It's very simple. If I'm stuck, I need to move. If I'm going where I don't want, I have to turn and go the way I do want. You do that on the road, <laughs> you know, your GPS goes, turn around, go back, road closed, you know, right. detour. You turn, you turn, you turn. So I was thinking about when you were talking that sometimes we have goals that seem, uh, you know, like the lady in the house, like we want them, they're big goals, but they just seem like, they're so they're in the clouds there. <laughs> now it's almost like I need like I need to bring it closer to get it in focus. How do we bring those into us, or how do we go towards those without giving up? Because they almost seem unreal, if you will, when you have a really big goal. Well, there are people who have made. I mean, we, you know, I'm not the only one who uses this analogy, but it's it's usually a pretty good one. Um, well, for example. Let's go with weight. Somebody's overweight 100 pounds. So they go, I want to drop 100 pounds. They know they can't do it in a week. They're not going to do it over a month. You know, how long did it take you to be 100 pounds overweight? So how do you healthily reduce your weight? You know that you have to implement something, right? Now, what happens on January 1st when people say, I'm going to go to the gym is they usually rush into the gym. They lift as much as they can. They do a lot and then they soar and then they don't feel like going back. They burn out because it's all adrenaline pump and adrenaline is good for fleeing, but it's not good for keeping you doing what you want to do. So what you need to say is if I want to be healthier, I need to condition my body. I need to do a little bit. So for example, especially men, men go, I'm going to start jogging and they jog and they're 45 and they drop dead of a heart attack. It's been advised and this has been around for 40, 50, 60 years. Take a year or two to work up to jogging. Well, I'm, you know, but the point is, is that your body needs to learn how to respond. Your body's a really wonderful thing. So walk. Whenever I start an exercise program, I go and I sauna for about a month before I do anything. Then I go into the pool and I do some water walking or some light stuff. Then I start doing stuff or I walk, I get on the treadmill and I walk at a very low uh, uh, speed and a very low grade for an hour. And I do that until I feel like I'm, you know, a few days or a few weeks or whatever. And then I add a little bit and add a little bit and add a little bit. I don't rush in and try and do things. It's, it's increment. You don't take your entire meal and shove it in your face. You eat it bite by bite. And so that's part of it. Now, when it comes to money, for example, people go, I want to be a millionaire and I've never made a lot of money. And they go, well, that may be too big a leap. Well, it may be because some people who say they want to be a millionaire don't really believe they could be a millionaire, don't believe they deserve being a millionaire. And since they've never made the money, they don't have a history to go back on. The reason why there's a 1% or 2% in this country, and there's a 1% or 2% not only in finances, but just about everything. 1% or 2% will finish a book. 1% or 2% will do an exercise program and complete it. 1% or 2% will, will show up in time when they say they will. 1% or 2% will be rich. One or two percent will be healthy. I mean, in other words, sometimes the numbers vary, but the point being is very few people do what they actually set out to do because they let their conditioning interfere with them. Mm. So you want to take charge of your conditioning and get it working for you. So when it comes to money, if you say, I want to be a millionaire, that's great. Have that dream. Let it make you 
feel wonderful. You can use whatever approach you want, you know, in your mind. You can, you can use NLP, you can use whatever. Um, but, but just to simplify it, for those who don't know what that might be, sit in your room and imagine what it would be like to have a million dollars. Feel what it would be like. How would a millionaire sit? How would a millionaire walk? How would a millionaire drive? What would a millionaire eat? How would the millionaire eat? How would the millionaire talk with the friends? How would a millionaire dress? What would they dress? Where would they live? How would they, you know, okay. Now, you got all that, but you don't have a million dollars. That's what you want to go towards. That's what you want. You want to leave poverty and go towards the million. So what's the first thing you can do to make a million dollars? Maybe you have to read a book. Maybe you have to learn about investing somewhere. Maybe you have to, it's not about working harder or more or getting more jobs because that's not going to do it for you. It's about being smarter. Napoleon Hill, for example, in Think and Grow Rich said, if you can believe it and if you can conceive it and believe it, then you can achieve it. So you first have to know what you want and then you have to believe it's possible and, the, and you have to be certain that you will accomplish it. And he says, how do you become certain you'll accomplish it? Through repetition, through daily visualizing, through daily chanting, through daily reminding yourself, this is what I want. He said, and then when money comes, it comes so fast, it scares people because they don't expect it, all right? But you have to be certain. Now, I talk, and I'm doing a program soon on Napoleon Hill, but uh, in the very beginning of his book, he talks about Edward C. Barnes. Edward C. Barnes, yeah, I don't know if you've read the book or not, but for those who may not have, Edward C. Barnes decided he wanted to be a partner with Napoleon Hill. And, and Hill, when he writes about it, says, we don't know when he decided he wanted to be a partner, but somewhere down the line, he decided he wanted to be a partner. So he jumped on a freight train like a hobo in, in very crappy clothes, left his wife and, and journeyed to New Jersey to put Edison on notice that he was going to work for Edison to be his partner. And Edison's report was, I saw this guy, there was something about him. There was a look in his eye, but he looked like a hobo. But because of the look in his eye, I decided to give him a chance. And so I, I made him a janitor in my, in my building. For five years, Edward C. Barnes was a janitor in, in Edison's building with no hope of being a partner of Edison. But in his mind, according to Hill, he kept it alive. He was certain that he would be Edison's partner someday. And when the opportunity arose, Edison had a dictograph machine, a new one that his salespeople couldn't sell. Barnes said, I'll sell it. And Edison knew the guy in the look and said, yeah, all right. And he did. He sold it. And he ended up retiring as a partner of Edison as a very wealthy man because he never gave up on his dream. He, he, all the while that he was sweeping the floor, he never got a chance. It, it wasn't any more likely he was ever going to be. He didn't let the outer circumstances dictate what was in his heart and in his mind. He said, I am going to be Edison's partner. And in fact, he did become Edison's partner. So you want to keep that dream alive. And then you do what he, he what did he do? He got on a train and went to Edison. He could have wanted to be Edison's partner and sat in his room and visualized and hoped that Edison would have found him out of the millions of people alive on the planet and went, I'm going to go find, oh, there's Edward C. Barnes in his room. But it doesn't work that way. Yeah, he, had yeah. to go to, he had to go to Edison. He got on a train. He didn't have money to get there. He, didn't. he went as a hobo. He stood before Edison and dressed as a hobo, but with a fire in his eyes, with a passion of, you know, I want to be your partner. And Edison said, well, okay, you can sweep the shop. Okay. You know, it's his in. He did what? So... How do you get that goal? You start where you're at and you do what you do. You take that first step, whatever it may be. Maybe you have to chunk it down. You have to go, this year I'm going to do this. And then next year I'm going to do that. And then my third year I'm going to do this. People underestimate what they can do in a certain period of time too often. We think, well, in a year I'm going to do great things. And it probably takes three or four or five years. And in five or 10 years, we think, uh, you know, we underestimate what we could accomplish. So the key is, is to start the journey, go as far as you can go, and when you get that far, you'll see further. Like you can't see around the corner, but when you get up to the corner, you can then see where you need to go, and you continue to adjust and, and continue all along the way until you get to the finish line. And the key is this. If you then say, okay, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to incorporate this practice, I'm going to get a mentor or a coach, I'm going to do a workshop or a program. I'm going to invest in something. I'm going to develop myself. I'm going to develop a new relationship with money. Um, I'm going to begin to think in terms of abundance and the law of attraction. I'm going to live a prosperity mindset as opposed to a, a, de a debtor or a scarcity mindset. I'm going, to, I'm going to change what I'm doing. Then 
what you do is you, you, you make the, the, the things that you want to do small enough, not so small they're insignificant, that you're not interested, large enough to be interesting, but small enough to be um, easy enough to accomplish. Okay. It might stretch you a little bit, but it's easy enough to accomplish so that you pick up wins along the way. Because here's the truth, is winners win more. Success brings more success. If you're not used to winning, you don't win a lot. It's like, what, why do some lottery winners just keep winning and winning and winning and winning because they keep playing and playing and playing and they play to win and they play to win and they play to win. So in order to win all those different games and whatever they do, they have to keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more likely you are to win. So, and I'm not saying play the lottery or three or anyway that way. I'm saying you build successes up so that you feel successful along the way. With each step, if every step you plant, you went, oh, I feel good. I feel great. I feel powerful. I'm getting closer to my goal. Mm. You know, when you climb a mountaintop, you know where they tell you to look? At your feet. And the reason they tell you to look at your feet is because those are the steps you're taking to the mountaintop. If you look at the mountaintop, you go, oh God, look at how far I have to go. And there's this huge gap between that and me. And so people give up because the gap is too great. And the same thing is true with your goals. If there's a huge goal between your gap, or huge gap between your goal, if you want to be a millionaire and you go, I have nothing, oh, well, heck, I'm never going to get good, you'll give up. But if you look at your feet, if you look at the first step, the second step, the third step you can take, you eventually get there. There's a saying which I absolutely adore. Enough baby steps in the right direction will take you to the top of Everest. And it's just consistently doing it. And, and, and that's the good news, because this notion of massive effort, I think, is wrong. The massive effort, given mass, yeah, once or twice you might need massive effort to get over a hump. But you don't want a massive effort every day. I don't want a massive effort my meals on my getting up or driving to work or massive effort this or massive. It's not going to happen. Uh, and the other thing is the pain thing. I had a friend who smoked, and I said, how did you quit smoking? He said, I put out the cigarette in the back of my hand. He was military. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, that's got to hurt. So I said, well, let me try that. I put the cigarette out in the back of my hand. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> insane. How could you do that until you quit? You know? So I want to do it where it's fun and it's easy and it's enjoyable. And bit by bit, I get there. I want to go to a, a smorgasbord or a buffet. I want to sample the things. I want to go, this is so cool. This is so good. You know what a lot of people do? They go to a smorgasbord, they get something, and they go, oh, God, that's terrible, right? Have you ever done that? If you eat something, you go, what do you do with it? You put it down, you don't do it, yeah. don't do it again, right? You go, I'm not going to have that. I'm done with that. And you look for something that's good. But some people get up in the morning, and they have the, the barista at the coffee shop is rude to them, or somebody gives them the finger on the road or cuts them off, and they talk about it all day long. It's like saying, I had the worst eclair at this buffet. I can't believe how horrible it was. And six weeks later, you're still talking about the eclair that you ate. Don't live that way, you know? Live with, you know, I had this one thing, it was so good, or I did this thing, and it, I got there, I read this book, and it took me to this step, and I then did this, and I did that. And you inch your way to success. That's what insurance do. That's beautiful. Just wonderful uh, way of explaining that. It's just wonderful and very useful. Thank you. Well, I, I, my, my whole point is it's so simple to change and people have complicated it. And some programs complicate it. They, they give you 50 different steps or 25 different things you need to learn or this, that, and the other. You know, I go, look, stop, shift, you know, stop, breathe, and shift. Remember these simple things, dog crap or diamonds, you, you're choosing every moment. And if you realize that you're choosing, then there's something you can do about it. If you're stuck, you create movement. The simpler it is, the easier it is. Um, yeah. And just uh, tell me your website again so everybody can hear it. The website is Now Let's Party, NLP online, all one word, NLP online dot com. And what that does is it takes you to Idea Seminars, which is my business. So. You'll open up and say, I do seminars. There's a video there with me. There's a free gift at the top. And then there's like my design. Uh, there's my book. Can you see it? It disappeared. Yeah. There's the Attitude Activator, other programs. One of the programs that's really kicking butt right now is how to change your thoughts and transform your life. Um, that's another program I have. I've got NLP programs and other things. Uh, but that's one, you get a few hundred people in that and, you know, working on how they change themselves and secret support groups and stuff. 
So people can join at any time. They come in. There's there's a book, a manual, audio, a number of video sessions, Q&As, live webinars, coaching. I did a webinar this morning for the members in the secret support group, you know, where uh, answer questions, address concerns, or whatever it is we share and support each other. You know, a rising tide lifts the whole boat. Mm -hmm. NLPonline.com. They can get their free gift and check out the programs. Check me out. It's all right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and all your wisdom. And I, I, as I was listening, I was thinking through how I could, oh yeah, I could do that. You made it so simple. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's truly an honor. I'm, I'm so glad to be on your program. You help so many people and it's so cool. And I didn't know you were an optometrist until you said that. So that's very cool too. We have that connection as well. Yeah. So, uh, but see, see, you're helping people see better in a variety of ways. Yes. Yes, I am. So that's cool. But um, I ask everybody this at the end, what to you makes an incredible, amazing life? I'm sorry? What for you makes an incredible, amazing life? Well, I say make all your ma moments magical, but what for me has made my life truly, truly wonderful is that I never wanted children. And uh, I'm divorced, I'm a divorced dad, but... I never wanted children and my ex-wife convinced me that I would want children. And so I said, okay, well, let's, let's, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And the day that my daughter, my firstborn was born, my life just completely changed. I, I looked at my dad one day after both my children were born before he died. And I said, you know, you take anything I've ever done uh, in all the years that I've been alive, you can trash it. The best decision I ever made was to have children. And what makes my life, wonderful is knowing that they're a gift to the world from the universe and the universe is a gift to them and them to the universe. I mean, it's a two way street and that they're alive on the planet. And that makes everything just so much better. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a dad. I never thought I would ever say that. And uh, I am, I've got two wonderful girl dogs because of my daughter. I mean, it's just, it's truly, truly amazing. Um, but what, so that makes my life wonderful. But what, what makes my life wonderful otherwise is I do. I take responsibility for my life. And, and, and when things aren't going the way I want them, I change myself. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, and we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome, Dr. Leonard. It's been a, a deep pleasure. And, and to all your listeners and your um, viewers and to everybody, Make your dreams go true and celebrate everything because you can.